This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Middle of letter number nine, page one sixty. Very powerful brief, a very powerful letter. The Rebbe is appealing to his Hasidim to give tzedakah to support the tzedakah in the Holy Land. Is telling us that a person should not have any hesitation. Page one sixty to give tzedakah. can say, how can I give tzedakah? I have to take care of my family, I have to take care of my children, I have to take care of my needs, I have to take care of myself first. How can I give tzedakah? The Alter Rebbe was basically talking to a very poor community. Jews in Russia, they were struggling to survive, except a handful of very wealthy people. This letter was written to all the Hasid. The Alter Rebbe explains that the truth is, taking care of your family is really an act of tzedakah. Your intention, a Jew's intention, why am I taking care of my family? Because God gave me the opportunity to provide for these godly souls. Just like God is constantly providing for us and He's giving us and if everything he does is a gratuitous act of kindness and he's giving us and he's pouring and he's creating us and sustaining us every moment he's creating us and sustaining us and he gives us our livelihood and he takes care of us that's what God does God provides so if I in turn also become godly and godlike what do I do? what's my main occupation? what, what engages most of my time? I'm taking care but not taking care of myself from an egotistical point of view. I love myself and I have to take care of myself. I have to put money in the account. It, this is a godly thing that I'm doing. Providing, taking care. Because you have to take care of a godly soul. So it's A, taking care of yourself. You're also a godly soul. Taking care of your family. These are godly souls. Your wife, your children your spouse. And therefore, when someone comes knocking on your door to give tzedakah, it's not this struggle, you have to wrestle with yourself, how can I give tzedakah? I'm busy taking, busy earning a living. Most of my life, I'm busy earning a living. I, I don't have time. I'll give tzedakah after I'm retired and after I've made billions of dollars and I have nothing to do with it then I'll start thinking about giving tzedakah. I'm 80 years old, and I'm in the Forbes 400, and then I'll, then I'll start, then I'll start thinking of legacy, then I'll start thinking of tzedakah. Right now I'm busy. I'm in the heat of life, I'm busy, I'm earning a living, I'm taking care of myself, I'm taking care of my family, I'm taking care of... Don't bother me with tzedakah. 
But if your entire motivation is with a sense of godliness that I'm taking care of myself and taking care of my family, it's an act of tzedakah. Act of taking care of godly souls. It's, it's emulating Hashem. It's becoming godly. God is a giver and a provider. And He empowered me to be a giver and a provider. He charged me to be a giver just like Hashem. To take care. To take care. Take care of myself. Take care of others. Therefore, if someone comes knocking on my door, of course, that's what I do. I'm a provider. I'm a giver. That's what I'm doing all day and every day. I'm taking care of God's souls. So if someone comes knocking on my door, a poor person comes knocking on my door, it's an opportunity. I can give, I can provide, I can help. But the Torah says that my primary responsibility is I have to take care of myself, I have to take care of my wife, I have to take care of my young children, I have to take care of my family. The Torah itself tells me just like there is, there is levels in tzedakah, there's laws in tzedakah. You have two people knocking on your door. They're both worthy causes. One is from your city and one is, is from a different place. Who comes first? The Torah tells us you have to prioritize. It's triage. I can't take care of the whole world. There's two patients in front of me. One is going to die, one is going to live. But who do I take first? So there, there are criteria. The Torah itself tells us. Jewish law states. Family comes first. Neighbors community comes first so the Torah itself tells us you have to prioritize yes the act of taking care of yourself the act of taking care of your family it's, it's a godly act it's an act of tzedakah not, the motivation is not ego and selfishness and I the motivation is godliness I'm emulating Hashem I'm being godly by taking care of, by earning a living and taking care and becoming a provider and taking care I'm doing the godly thing I'm an adult. God empowered me and gave me the ability and the responsibility to take care. So I have to take care of myself. My soul doesn't belong to me. It's a godly soul that's given a loan to me and I have the responsibility to take care of myself. Take care of my body. Take care of myself. I have to take care of it. It's a godly mandate and godly responsibility. I have to take care of my family. And my family comes first. But essentially... Taking care of myself, taking care of my family, and taking care of others, it's all the same thing. It's an act of tzedakah. It's a godly act. It's an act of giving and taking care and, and, and providing. And therefore, really, there shouldn't be any difference. My struggle is, why my family first? <laughs> why me first? The Torah says, you come first. Your family comes first. But essentially, it's the same theme. It's the same thing. So if your motivation is godliness, if the underpinning, the underlying assumption of everything that you do is godliness, and that's, that's, then giving tzedakah is the most natural thing in the world. That's what I do. I'm a giver. And I give generously. wholeheartedly. And that's the reason the Jew says Shema twice a day. And you close your eyes and you have to concentrate. Why do you have to close your eyes and concentrate? To say that, to proclaim that there's one God and not two gods? Well, that's elementary. To say that God is the only power and no one else is... That's elementary. But you have to close your eyes and you have to concentrate twice a day because it's counterintuitive because 
that the, this challenges all your underlying assumptions. Your whole approach to life is different. Your whole underlying assumption of everything that you do is transformed and is challenged by this insight and by this truth that Shema Yisrael, listen, take it in and absorb this idea. Hashem, Hashem, there's only one God, there's only one reality. If there's only one reality, then everything that I do, the whole underlying assumption, the whole premise of my entire life, everything that I do is based, the cornerstone, the foundation is all based on godliness. Not only when I'm studying Torah and I'm doing mitzvot and I'm praying and I'm doing something holy and godly, but as I'm going about my daily life, not only when I'm giving tzedakah, I'm doing a mitzvah, when I'm going about my daily life, it's godly. Everything is permeated with godliness. 24-7. So what occupies and engages most of my life, my adult life, which is earning a living and being a provider and being self-sufficient and taking care of myself and taking care of my family, this is also the whole underlying assumption behind it, the whole motivation and drive is really a godly drive, not an egotistical selfish drive, which comes naturally. That's why you have to close your eyes and concentrate because it's counterintuitive. A Jew has to radically transform and change his whole attitude, his whole approach, his whole view of reality. So when your whole perspective on reality is changed and the motivation behind everything that you do is godliness, then giving tzedakah is the most natural thing in the world. Because that's what I do. That's what I'm doing all day and every day. I'm being a provider, I'm being a giver, I'm in a position, I can help, I can give, I have to help and I have to give. And he says, even when the Torah says you have priorities, you have to realize that there's different levels. Jewish law is discussed, what age a person is obligated to provide for his children, his young children, till the age of six, meaning till they complete the sixth year, which is till the age of seven. They're Obligated to, uh, <laughs> they're obligated to take care of them, just like you're obligated to take care of your wife. You have to take care of your spouse. You're obligated to take care of your children. No question asked. If after the age of seven, technically, not obligated, but the court would embarrass you, humiliate you in public if you refuse to take care of your children. If you left them in the street and said, "Hey, they're seven years old. Let them go beg. Let them go." Yes, technically, we're not going to go down and take your, possess your properties. But in shul, we're going to announce. Watch out. We'll look at this cruel monster. This, this, this is a parent. A father brings a child to this world and leaves him, abandons him in the streets. Even ravens have more mercy on their, on their offspring than this, this, this miser, this miserly, sorrowful person, an excuse for a human being. Such a humiliation. No matter how miserly you are, you... You, you paid. Don't forget, we're talking about very harsh... Today, thank God, we don't have these questions and challenges. But, you know, years ago, people didn't have bread to put on the table. So, you can uh, picture such a scenario. And then, when the kids are really older and they're self-sufficient, then you don't have to. Then it's an act of tzedakah, like anything else. Your family comes first. So the Alter Rebbe says here, that when do you say family comes first? Children, once the children are a little older, or past seven, that's only in relation to everyone else. However, when it comes to supporting the leaders of the generation, the tzaddikim of the generation, 
especially those who are in the Holy Land. He's referring to Rabbi Menachem Mendel Levita, Kaliska, who led a group of Hasidim from Eastern Europe and they moved to Israel 230 years ago. So he said, in that, the first group Aliyah from Europe to Israel, 100 years before Theodor Hertel was born, and there was no way to earn a living in Israel, it was desolate, there was no, hardly any Arabs there, despite the propaganda. There was no one there. There was not, no living. It was desolate. There was hardly anyone there. You couldn't make a living. So the Alter Rebbe says that to support the tzaddikim takes precedence even over children, even on the young kids, because over young kids over the age of seven, because they are our leaders. They're, they're like the head. We have to take care of our head. We have to make sure we have to have a healthy head. So we have a responsibility to make sure, to provide for our head. He doesn't give a source, but surely everything Alter Rebbe says has a source in the Torah. And that's what he gives a verdict. But here he's more discussing the motivation. He's inspiring his Hasidim. And that's what he says. He says, I hope you're going to take everything that I said very briefly. You're going to take it to heart and you're really going to get what I'm saying here. This is quite revolutionary. This, this completely changes your whole perspective on earning a living, what it means to earn a living. You know, even in the, up until Alter Rebbe wrote this, we knew, yes, you have to earn a living. You have to have a mind. Everything that I'm doing is for the sake of heaven. I need money in order that I should be able to live, in order that I should be able to serve God, in order that I have to take care of my family, to do mitzvot. It's not cheap to, be, to, to live a Jewish lifestyle. It's very expensive, so you need the, you need the financial ability. Alter Rebbe is turning the whole thing on the head. It's much deeper than that. It's much more profound than that. The act of earning a living itself is a godly act. Because you're being a provider. You're emulating Hashem. So when, when you're permeated with godliness, the whole underlying assumption of your reality is godliness. Then tzedakah is the most... You do it eagerly, generously, enthusiastically, passionately. Because it's consistent with your whole life. It's not something you have to work hard on yourself and break yourself and bend yourself to write that track. It's, it's natural. It's, it's, that's what I'm doing. I'm a provider. God is a giver and I'm a giver. God is a provider and I'm a provider. So if I have this opportunity to be a giver, and if it's not interfering with taking care of my family, it's not a question of taking a piece of bread from my wife and taking a piece of bread from my young children, it's, it's then what kind of question? If God brought this opportunity to me and He brought this to my attention, it means I have the ability to help. So that's what I do. This is what I do every day, all day, and every day. I am godly and I am godlike and I'm a giver. And therefore you write the check. And you give the tzedakah. Therefore, my beloved ones, my brethren. And Alter Rebbe uses very endearing language right in the beginning of the letter and here as well. He calls them my beloved ones, my brethren. Because anyone who fulfills the directive in this letter to literally love your fellow Jew like yourself. If you love, literally love your fellow Jew like yourself and you look at your fellow Jew like a godly soul, and it's my responsibility to take care of godly souls. It's my charge. God put me in charge to be a giver and a provider and a, to take care of godly souls, which includes myself. I also have to take care of my godly soul. 
my wife and children, the godly souls. God gave me the privilege of being able to be godly and godlike, to become like the creator himself and to be a giver and a provider. Then I have a responsibility to take care of my fellow Jew because they're all godly souls. I have, that's my responsibility. It's a personal responsibility. I have to take care of them. It's not me versus them. Here the Alter Rebbe is breaking down the barriers in me versus them. There's no me, there's no them. If you literally love your fellow Jew like yourself, how is it possible to love your fellow Jew like yourself? Because they have a godly soul and I have the same godly soul. So I am them and they are, they are me. So therefore, that's what I do. I'm here to take care of, of, godly, of the godly soul. What difference does it make? Me, my godly soul. My wife's godly soul. My children's godly soul. Well, they're godly soul. We're all Jews. We're all connected. We're all one. The same godly soul. My job in life, and this is what engages most of my time, is to provide for, God's, for the godly souls. To take care of them. Just like Hashem does. That's what Hashem does all day and every day. He's taking care of us. He's creating us and sustaining us and taking care of us. And I'm doing the same thing. God gave me the ability to be His partner, to be like God, to be a creator, a giver, a provider. So, I have a responsibility to take care of them, just like I have a responsibility to take care of myself. It's only when there's a conflict, then the Torah says there are criteria who comes first. Not for any selfish reasons. I'm not motivated by ego and selfishness. But God himself tells me, you have priorities. You have first responsibilities, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your wife, take care of your children. And then, really, essentially, my responsibility is to take care of godly souls. And what's the difference? My soul, their soul. There's no us versus them. So anyone who feels this way, the Rebbe refers to as my friend, my brother, my beloved ones, my brother. If you treat a fellow Jew literally like your own brother and sister, the Rebbe says, then you are my brother and sister. Then we're like, we're, we're one. Direct your hearts to these words which are expressed very briefly. And face to face, please God, I will speak of them at length. This letter is a very brief letter, but it contains so much, it's so powerful, it's so revolutionary, it contains so much, you know, that it's very, the Altarabbi says, very, very brief. There's so much more to say, but he hopes that the letter will suffice to get you thinking and to help you realize what he's saying. And he says, I hope you'll take it to heart. And he says, I hope, Hashem's help, when we'll meet face to face, we can elaborate on all these points a lot more. Maybe the Rebbe is wishing us, soon we'll meet him face to face. Sheikh is going to come. He says, Hashem, we'll meet face to face. Especially he'll want to meet all those who are studying Tanya, who spent so many years studying Tanya. He says, then we'll discuss this at great length. I'll explain to you in great length, in great depth, what I'm trying to say here. But it's enough what he's saying here to make you realize how powerful this is. This is Al-Tarebi. In general, Al-Tarebi is very brief. The whole Tanya, Al-Tarebi's style is very brief. Every page, every word in Tanya, every chapter in Tanya is powerful in its own right. It, it cha- changes your whole underlying assumption. It changes your whole viewpoint. So Al-Tarebi's style is very brief, very powerful points. Like a you know, it, pow- it carries such a punch because it gets straight to the whole, whole underlying assumption of the whole, of how you're supposed to approach the whole thing from a whole different 
perspective. Then the, the son, the Mittler Rebbe, expanded it. One page of the Alter Rebbe, the Mittler Rebbe would take 20, 30 pages to explain one point of the Alter Rebbe. But, but even though you have to say for someone who's very brief, the Alter Rebbe was very brief, and yet the whole Tanya is based on explaining one verse in the Torah. It's close to you to, to, to speak and to act and to, to think like a Yid. And for this, Alter Rebbe spent 53 chapters in the first part of the Tanya, 12 chapters in the second part of the Tanya, another 12 chapters in the Gerit HaTshuva. And these letters were added after, after he passed away by his children. But, so all of this to explain one verse in the Torah. So as brief as Alter Rebbe was, yet there's so much to discuss. And he's just showing us how every word and every letter in the Torah is so infinite, contains so much infinite depth and infinite wisdom that we, we hardly, be, we're barely even scratching the surface of the infinite wisdom that's contained literally in every letter and word in the Torah. But this is brief. Alter Rebbe says, this is a style. I'm writing you the letter, but I'm writing to you very, just a point. This is just a point. It's a very powerful point, a very sharp point, a very clear point. But he says, when face to face, I'll be able to elaborate on it and explain it a lot more. How in these times, when the approaching footsteps of Moshiach are close upon us, the principal service of God is the service of charity. He's saying that the main, every generation has its main service, its, um, its mission. Of course, we're obligated to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. But every generation has its mitzvah that it shines, that it sparkles. Like we learned earlier, that everyone has a mitzvah through which, through which they shine. Um, so every so to, so that's true for individuals, and the same is also true for generations. Um, if you remember, in letter number seven, page one thirty-five, he quoted the Chazal, who said that one sage asked the other, "What commandment was your father most careful?" And the answer there was the commandment of Titus. But the Zohir, the language he uses is Zohir. Avuch, but may have a Zohir tfeh. Zohir means careful, but Zohir also comes from the word Zohar, like light, illumination, shine, sparkle. So he explained that every, inexplicably, every soul has a gateway. One mitzvah, that's the gateway for that soul. That unlocks the treasure of your soul. That excites you. It's inexplicable, but this mitzvah speaks to you, and this mitzvah is what connects you with godliness, and this mitzvah is what gives you strength and illuminates your soul. Every soul is obligated to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. But within the 613 mitzvot, everyone has a lot, which is beyond, it's, it's not comprehensible. You drew a lot and you win a lottery. It's not logical. So everyone has a lottery, so to speak. Everyone has a lot, a certain portion that's a portion to them, certain mitzvah where they shine and where they sparkle. And what's true for an individual is also true for every generation. You have to know your strengths. What's our strength? We are the midgets of the midgets of all generations. 
we are the soul of the soul of the feet. The entire Jewish people, Kal Yisrael, are like one living organism. The generation left Egypt are the brains. They stood at Sinai. And we are the souls of the souls of the feet. The souls of the soul is what you scrape off because it has dead skin. <laughs> it's so insensitive. It's so insensitive. It's so almost unfeeling that you can scrape it and you don't even feel anything. You don't even feel any pain. So we are the souls of the souls of the Jewish people. We're so, we don't feel anything, we don't see anything, we don't hear anything, we don't understand anything. Brains, heart, forget about it. You know, it's, it's the souls of the souls. So what's our strength? Studying of Torah. It's not where we shine, it's not where we spark. You know, some of the simple Jews 200 years ago, you know, every town had dozens of people that knew the whole Talmud backwards and forwards. The simple Balagolas, the simple uh, wagon drivers knew the whole Tillam Psalms by heart. How many rabbis know the whole Psalms by heart? Or half of the Psalms by heart? What people would consider today a rabbi wouldn't even be considered, would be considered a nobody 200 years ago. The level of knowledge. The Rebbe said that he, in Poland, he met dozens of Einsteins. Brain power. Jewish rabbis who had the intellectual brain power and the Torah and Torah knowledge. This is before the war. Go back 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago. The brain power, the level of... Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of the Code of Jewish Law, not many people realize this, but the Shulchan Aruch that he wrote, all four parts of the Shulchan Aruch, he wrote as a, as a study session to be studied once a month, to be studied over a month's time. I think if you break it down, every day you learn 87, 87 chapters, 87 a month. <laughs> This was, this, this, was, this was a normal learning schedule for people, you know, for business people. Yeah, 87 You're lucky if a person goes through that in a year. A day. This wasn't for the geniuses, for the elite. The Code of Jewish Law was written for all Jews. This is 500 years ago. You're talking about a different level of learning. That's 500 years ago. You go back to the times of Maimonides and Rashi. You go back to the Bali Teisvis. You go back to the times of the Talmud. They used to study everything 100 times. They repeated everything they learned 100 times. And that was the ordinary. That was natural. That was, as we learned in chapter 15 of the first part of the time, that was regular. That was... You're talking about stamina, brain power, capacity of learning... The only reason the rabbis were not more prolific, and they were, because they didn't have the computer. Can you imagine if they sat at a computer? They would have written volumes. And We have the computer, and we have nothing to write. <laughs> so let's not kid ourselves. That's our strength, our brain power. Our brain power wouldn't even, wouldn't even hold a candle. It's not even like a candle in comparison to the sun. It's, it's, it's nothing. The level of our brain power. The Alter Rebbe once called in one of his big chassidim. And he says, what are you learning? And yeah, I told him the piece of Talmud that he's learning. 
He said, how do you explain this? So he said, yeah, he explained it very nice. Al-Tarebi asked him a question. He says, yeah, Al-Tarebi, you're right. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not good. The way I explained it is not good. Al-Tarebi then answered his question. He said, no, what you said is right. He says, yeah, Rebbe, you're right. It makes sense. Then he asked him another question. How can you say that makes no sense? Back and forth and back and forth. Al-Tarebi says, whatever I tell you, this, yeah, this, this no, question is a question. That's not called learning. It's not called understanding. He was showing him how the Rishonim, when the Rajba, the Ritva, the Ran, when they said something, it was a powerful thing. It wasn't, you know, just repeating words. We, God blesses us, we have a good head, we can repeat words. This one says this, this one says that. But, but, but what do you say? How do you understand it? Do you really understand it clearly in depth? Does it make sense to you? Do you have a mind of your own to really understand it and really get to the bottom of it and is it crystal clear for you or, or you just bend with the, with the wind I, I, the next person who comes along like a politician he agrees with the last person who spoke to him. <laughs> I mean this is it, he was just showing you how insubstantial our whole understanding is we have to have such a healthy respect for the Rishonim don't forget they didn't have the benefit of us we have all the commentaries they had nothing they opened the piece of Talmud they had no commentary and they had to figure it out on their own and break their head. The originality and the clarity and the depth and the solid knowledge. And when they said something, they said it with decisiveness and they said it with a very deep, penetrating understanding and unbudgeable. When Rashi says something, it's unbudgeable. You can't just, well, I think differently. You don't understand. What Rashi said, he said it after breaking his head and after thinking about it. And so we have to realize we can't get carried away with our own brilliance. Have to realize that's not our strength. Heart, prayer. It's like it's like the heart is barely beating. You, you want to find the pulse, <laughs> see if anyone's alive. We know the true meaning of love. We know the true meaning of dedication, of loyalty, of sacrifice. You know, we, we, we don't even scratch the surface. This is not our strength. You know, if you look in the Code of Jewish Law, we are now in the year 5,774. So you'll know when, when the share was given. <laughs> we're we're going to date ourselves. Unfortunately, we're still in Gullus. So, Nachmanides, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, and the other greats write that just like there are six days of the week and the seven day rested, so too each of the millennium represents one day of the week, is represented by one day of the week. So right now we are in the six in the in five thousand seven hundred and seventy four. So we are in the Friday. Afternoon or late afternoon? That's the only question. Is it just the afternoon or is it late in the afternoon? Because if you start counting Shabbos, Mashiach comes at Shabbos. If you start counting Shabbos, the millennium, the year 6,000, then we are mid-afternoon. But if you start counting Mashiach when Mashiach comes, which is before the millennium and before the resurrection of the dead, any moment at Shabbos, then we are literally moments before candlelighting. We are literally Friday, late, late afternoon. 
when you're rushing to shul, because you know any minute you're rushing to finish whatever you need to be done, because you know any second Mashiach is coming. The lights will go on. What? On. The light the candles. Shabbos candles. Oh. Hashem is going to light the candles. Light up the world. Mashiach is going to come. Usher in, usher in the Messianic era. All your work is done. Everyone is dressed up clean. Everyone is showered. The house is ready. The table is ready. We're ready for the feast. Everything is done. Six days a week. We've been preparing and preparing. And now Shabbos. That's it. This is, it's all been a preparation for Shabbos. You light the candles. God will light the candles. The switch will go on. And suddenly, ah, seven billion people will say, of course, I know there's a God. I always knew there was a God. And now it's, it's all there, it's crystal clear, the table is set, we've been preparing for this meal feast for six millennium, 5,774 years, that Shabbos, so we're literally any moment. So we are now Friday, but according to all opinions, we're Friday afternoon. There's a, a, a chapter in the Code of Jewish Law, in the first part of the Shulchan Aruch, Ayur Chaim, chapter 250, a whole chapter that discusses the laws of Eder Shabbos, the laws of before Shabbos, Shabbos, Friday afternoon, there are laws. Before a Jew does anything, the previous Babacher Rebbe said, before a Jew does anything, you look in the code of Jewish law, you look in the Torah, before I take a step in my life. What does the Torah say? There's a whole chapter that guides us how a Jew is supposed to behave Friday afternoon. And it says there that the custom is that we close the yeshivas, the kids are sent home from school. You close the books, you stop learning and you go, you go home. Because you have to prepare for Shabbos. And as the Talmud tells us, the greatest rabbis prepared themselves, made their own preparations for Shabbos. They didn't rely on their maids and their servants and their household members. The greatest rabbis, one would chop wood and one would salt the fish. And one, they rolled up their sleeve and they did something to prepare for Shabbos. So Friday afternoon, even if you're a yeshiva student and you're studying all week and you're successful, you got to get ready for Shabbos. And you have to personally have a personal obligation to get ready for Shabbos. So you have to close your book and get ready for Shabbos. So we are, in that millennium, we are now Friday afternoon. You walk into a Jewish home Friday afternoon, even if you fell asleep, if, if you're Rip Van Winkle and you fell asleep, you would know it's Friday afternoon. There's a tumult, there's a commotion, there's cooking in the kitchen, the cleaners are coming, you have to take a shower, you have to, everything has to be done, you have a limited time, it's, it's chaos, everyone is home from school, everyone is rushing. There's no way in the world you can walk into a Jewish home and mistake and think that it's not before Shabbos. You won't, you'll never walk into a Jewish home an hour before Shabbos, and this one is watching a DVD, and this one is sitting and studying as if he's in the middle of, as if nothing has happened, calmly. No one is calm. No one is... It's, it's a mad rush. So we have to realize the time that we're living in. We are living a moment of Mashiach. This is the time you have to roll up your sleeve and you have to do. It's a time for action. It's a time for tzedakah. It's a time to take action. This is our strength. It's not we discovered learning. Listen, you're, you're 2,000 years too late. The Talmudic rabbis, that was real learning. Let's not get carried away. So I can't, I discovered learning at the expense of my activism. At the expense of taking care of another Jew, of helping another Jew. 
This is not the time. You have to remember the times we live in. Just read today. Previous Lubavitcher Rebbe had a secretary, a very special Jew. It's called Rabbi Chacha Fagin. He was a very great Torah scholar, very talented, very special chassid. And he got married, he went into business, and he was very successful. And the only two times in his life that he cried. Because <coughs> he was a very strong person, and he wouldn't let his emotions get to him. Once the previous Rabbi Rebbe calls him into his room, a private audience, and he says, I want you to give up your business and become a mashpia, become a mentor for the yeshiva students in the yeshiva, in the Lubavitch yeshiva. Because he was a perfect Jew for that. He was a special person, a very internal person, a spiritually, highly spiritually developed person. But he was very reluctant. He just started out in life. He was doing very well in business. Very successful, and he had a very good life. To give it all up and to immerse himself in yeshiva, knowing that physically, financially, there's no, he's throwing away all his uh, security. And so he was like, the previous Rebbe senses hesitation. So he says, okay, you know, we'll talk about it a different time. That Rosh Hashanah, he was standing next to the previous Rebbe. The Rebbe, the Rebbe was reading the Aftorah. The Aftorah was about Chana. Chana dedicated her son, Shemuel. He, was, he, read, he read that portion very, very strongly. That he says, I'm giving him away to Hashem. And he realized that the previous Rebbe was talking to him, that he was thinking about himself instead of thinking about what Hashem needs, what Hashem wants, so he burst out crying. You know, he took it to heart, and right after Yom Tov, he said, Rebbe, I'm giving up the business, and I'll do exactly what you want me to do. This is my godly mission, this is what I'm going to do. The other time he cried, later on, the previous Rebbe recruited him to be his private secretary. He was very, very talented, but he was very busy. The previous Rebbe was very active and very busy. And for him, it was a living hell. Because he didn't have a moment to himself. He didn't have a moment to study Torah. He was a very deep person. He, he, he studied Torah all the time. Even when he was doing business, he would study for himself. Here, he didn't have a moment to breathe. Day in, day out, he, couldn't, he had no time. There was so much work and there was so much going on. The previous Rebbe was holding up the whole Russia single-handedly and and jury all over the world, and he was his personal secretary. So he comes into a private audience. He says, Rebbe, I, I, I can't live like this. I, I, need, I need some Torah to give me life. I'm like dead. I, I need. So the previous Rebbe said, okay, so you want to open a yeshiva, you name them a town. Now go open a yeshiva in this in this town. In other words, this was a town that needed a yeshiva and there was no, no one there to... And he realized that there's no one, there's no one, no one to rely on. You know, if he walks away from this job, there's no one, there's no one else that's going to replace 
he starts crying. He really he starts crying, and the, the previous rebbe also started crying. And he said, "Trust me." He says, "I have the same problem." Who's going to do this work? There's no one here. We don't do this. You're talking about lives at stake. You're talking about Jewish community, the Jewish people at stake. So there's a time to act. There's a time. And that's what the Code of Jewish Law says. There comes a time when you have to know what the priority is. You have to know what your strength is. You have to know what your divine mission is. You have to know what Hashem needs of you now. Hashem needs you now to give tzedakah, to think of others, to sacrifice your time, to care about others, to be there for others, to help others. That's our only strength. That's where we're, we excel. The other generations, as great as they were, they were immersed in their own Torah study, in their own prayer, in their own spiritual advancement. Our strength is our selflessness. Our ability to give and to be there for others and to be active, and to be activists. That's where we excel, that's where we shine. So he's saying here, you have to know, that's what he's saying here, we have to know in these times, when we are the souls of Mashiach, the souls of the feet, our strength is tzedakah. So it's not just a minor detail, something that you icing on the cake, how you can perfect your giving of tzedakah, so you should also be perfect in this area in your life. This is our primary mission. This is our primary divine charge. This is where we shine and excel. As I first addressed in memory, said, Israel will be redeemed only through charity. So this is the call of the hour. The call of the hour is to be redeemed through tzedakah. This is the only thing that's going to get us out of the exile. This is what's going to make the transition from Friday into Shabbos. This is the last preparation that we need in order to bring Mashiach. This is the time. It's now. You, I, now. Then he's going to ask the question, but wait a second, doesn't this contradict an explicit statement by the rabbis? Our sages of blessed memory did not say that the study of Torah is a the performance of acts of loving kindness. The Mishnah states in Peah, the study of Torah is equivalent to them all, i.e., to all the mitzvot previously enumerated in the Mishnah, and these include the milut chasadim, the performance of acts of love and The Mishnah, which we say every morning, is these are the things that have no limit, and the reward is in uh, the, this world and in the world to come. The principle is in the world to come, and the rewards are... The dividends are in this world. But then he concludes, the studying of Torah is the equivalent of all of them put together. Including the mitzvot of Gemilas Chasadim, of kindness of tzedakah. So, the, so the, it's a Mishnah. The rabbis say clearly, not like so. The Torah takes precedence. Torah is primary. How could you say that tzedakah takes precedence? The Rebbe answered, it's not a contradiction. Why? Because that was only true. Continue. Except in their own days. For with them, the principal area of divine service was the study of the Torah, which is why at that time there were great scholars, Tanaim and Amoraim. However, in a time when the approaching footsteps of Mashiach are 
close upon us as the sukkah of David has fallen to a level of feet and heels, i.e. to the level of asiyah, i.e. the sefirah called Malchut of Atzilut, Shekhinah that vets itself in the lower world of Briah, Yetzirah, and Asiyah. Also known as the Sukkah of David, for David, as the king of Israel, was a Merkava to Malchut of Atzilut, has fallen to the lowest level of Asiyah. He's saying that that's true in their times, in the times of the Talmudic rabbis, then the study of Torah takes precedence over everything else. But in today's day and age, when we are the bottom, the heels of the feet, and we are the generation of action, generation of deeds, so our primary focus has to be tzedakah, even over the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. The question remains, Torah is eternal. Halacha is halacha. Halacha is, oh, it's only for their times. I mean, we don't play games with Torah. Well, it's not relevant today. It was only good in their times. Torah is eternal. And it says, Talmud Torah connected kulam. That's eternal. So the Rebbe says, we find in halacha that Torah overrides everything else. But what if you have a mitzvah that no one else can do the mitzvah? You're the only one who can do that mitzvah and the mitzvah is a passing. If you don't do the mitzvah now, you'll lose the opportunity to do the mitzvah. Then you have to close the Torah and go do the mitzvah. Mitzvahs come first. The Torah itself tells you. Even though you're immersed in Torah and you're busy studying Torah, nevertheless, the mitzvah overrides the Torah if it's a passing mitzvah and you're going to lose the opportunity. You'll never have this opportunity. If you have the opportunity to do the mitzvah, someone else can do the mitzvah, the mitzvah will get done. You're not the one to have to do the mitzvah. To build a sukkah. You can get someone else to build a sukkah. There's someone else around who can build it for you. So, so you should continue studying Torah and give someone else the opportunity to build, to, build, to build a sukkah for you. But if there's no one else, you have to close the book and go into the woods and chop wood and get yourself a sukkah and build a sukkah. You can't say, I'm busy studying Torah. Torah overrides everything. I'm exempt. You're not exempt. The whole purpose of Torah is to get you to do mitzvah. So Torah doesn't exempt you from doing mitzvah, from uh, acting Jewishly. On the contrary, Torah motivates you to do the mitzvah. But if the mitzvah will get done anyway, with or without you, then study Torah. It's more important. So Rabbi says, in a sense, the mitzvah is like a passing mitzvah. Today, if we don't do the tzedakah, if we're not going to take this action we're not going to close the deal and bring Mashiach, as the rabbis themselves said, Ein Yisrael, Nigal, and Ela the Jewish people will only be redeemed through Teshuvah, then there's no one else to do this. We're the only Jews around today. If we don't do this, if we don't get this done, if it's not mission accomplished, then it's a lost opportunity. We have no choice. So in that case, the Torah itself says, close the books and do the mitzvah. And especially if you know the time that we live in, like we discussed earlier, is a whole chapter in the code of Jewish law that tells you close the books, close the yeshivas, send the kids home, send the students home. They have to prepare for Shabbos. We are now, according to the millennium, according to the millennium Nachmanides and Rabbeinu Bechaya, in the Jewish calendar, we are literally Friday afternoon. The question is the middle of the afternoon or late, late, late afternoon. Moments before candle lighting. But either way, the Jewish law directs it. The same Jewish law that says study Torah all week and we're studying Torah Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Comes Shabbos, Friday afternoon. You've got to prepare for Shabbos. 
Yeah, you yourself have to prepare for Shabbos. What are you doing to bring Mashiach? You have to prepare. You have to become an activist. You have to take action. Salt the fish, chop the wood, prepare. Help another Jew, give tzedakah. Be there for another Jew. Inspire another Jew to do a mitzvah. Take from your time. And as Ramesha Feinstein said, just like a person is obligated to give 10% of his earnings to tzedakah, he said a person is obligated to take 10% of his precious and value, valuable time to help another Jew. Tzedakah is not only a form of writing a check, of giving money. Tzedakah means helping another person. If you can help him personally, teach him. So he says every observant Jew in the world has an obligation to spend 10% of his time helping another Jew, learning with them, teaching them, inspiring them, helping them do a mitzvah, reconnecting them. This is the obligation of tzedakah. So you can't say, I'm busy studying Torah. I'm busy perfecting myself. I'm busy growing and steiging away. I don't have time for another job. Wrong time, wrong place, wrong generation. And wrong person. A, you're not equipped. We are the bottom, scraping the bottom of the barrel. And we all know that, unless we're completely delusional. Compare our minds to the minds of the Shach and Taz, the Rishonim, the Amaroyim, the Goinim, Rabbanu Savaroy, the, the Tanoyim, the Nevi'im. Even the most delusional Jew wouldn't even delude himself to even compare, speak of the two in the same breath. Simply in sheer brain power. Forget about holiness and depth of soul and godliness and truthfulness and honesty, and integrity, and just brain power. We are the midgets of the generations. So that's not our strength. But Hashem equipped us for our mission. What is our strength? We are the soldiers. We are the foot soldiers. And soldiers are the ones who win the wars, not the generals. The great rabbis, they were our generals. But who who is victorious? Who actually defeats the enemy? Who's out in the battlefield? It's the soldiers who have healthy feet. You say, why does a soldier need a, a head to, to keep his helmet on or to keep this? He needs a head. Soldier has to listen. He has to have healthy feet. He has to know how to shoot. He has to know what he has to do. We are the soldiers. That's our strength. Hashem equipped us for what we are. Our souls are from the level of Asiya, of action. The lowest of the low. But you know, the soles of the soles of the feet carry the whole body. We are the soldiers, the foot soldiers that carry the whole organism. When the brain wants to walk, it needs a healthy foot. So we are the ones who are going to lead Rabbi Akiva and lead the Baal Shem Tov and lead all the great rabbis into the, into the redemption. And Moshe and the, and the patriarchs and the matriarchs. That's our strength. It's the tzedakah. That's where we shine. That's where we spark. And there's never been a generation, there's never been an outpouring of tzedakah like we have today. It's absolutely astonishing. The amount of tzedakah that people give today. The levels of tzedakah that people give. And not just financially, but also the outpour. People are there to help each other and to care for each other. It's just incredible. From the hospital here, we have in the Upper East Side, you have probably the largest concentration of world-class hospitals. The amount of chesed, the amount of kindness the meals that people are cooking up every single day and delivering and helping in every way possible, it's really astonishing. It's really incredible. 
That's where we sparkle. That's where we can hold a candle to the other generations. You want to know what's special about our generation? Learning. <laughs> I don't think it holds a candle to the previous generations. It doesn't hold a candle. The depth of emotions. We don't know what the depth of emotion looks like. But action, deed, this is where we shine. So you have to know your strength. So that's what Alter Rebbe says. And when did the rabbi say Talmud Torah is equivalent of everything else? Even halachically, it says today you don't have the law of Torah Nasi. There are certain laws of those Jews like a Rishim and Bayechoi, who Torah was his profession. That was his business. That's what he ate, that's what he drank, that's what he breathed, that's what he slept. That's, that was his whole life. And therefore there are certain halachas, he's exempt of certain things. But all those halachas don't apply today. That's what halacha says, the code of Jewish law, because we don't have anyone in that category who we can say, It doesn't exist. And this was written in the code of Jewish law a few hundred years ago, let alone today. So we can't delude ourselves. So if someone says, Oh, I'm going to discover learning. Friday before Shabbos, everyone is sitting and learning. Who's cooking the fish for Shabbos? Who's preparing the house? Who's, who's, who's cleaning the house? Who's taking the shower? Who's, I'm sorry, I'm busy learning. Don't disturb me. You forgot. It's not Sunday today. It's not Monday today. It's not Tuesday today. It's not Wednesday. It's not Thursday. It's Friday afternoon. Friday late afternoon. At least give 10% of your time to help another Jew to prepare him for the coming of Mashiach. To do the tzedakah. Get him to do a mitzvah. You have to remember the time that we live in. There's no way of truly cleaving unto it, i.e. to the Shekhinah, and transforming the darkness of the world into its light, except through a corresponding category of action and not through intellect and speech alone as in Torah study, namely the act of charity. But why is charity unique among all the many commandments that involve action? As is known to the scholarly, action, with reference to divinity, is the diffusion and downward flow of vitality to the lowest depths to him who has nothing of his own. Among the currents of divine influence that descend into the various worlds, there are those that are called thought and speech. The flow of vitality to the very lowest level, to the world of Asiya, where godliness is not at all manifest, is called action. The act of giving tzedakah thus truly corresponds to the spiritual level of Asiya, inasmuch as it too provides beneficence to one who has nothing of his own. So action is a world in which nothing, we don't sense anything. Godliness is not sensed, godliness is not palpable, it has nothing of its own. It's like the ultimate act of tzedakah is to help a pauper who has, doesn't have anything, doesn't even have anything of his own. Who's so needy, who's so desperately needy, he doesn't own anything. There's, there's, poor, there's in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there's an ani, and there's an Evian. An Ani is a poor person. He's poor. But he has something. Evian is destitute. Doesn't have a thing. Doesn't own, doesn't own a, a shirt to his back. Doesn't own anything. Has nothing of its own. That's, that's the ultimate tzedakah. You help someone who has nothing on his own. So that characterizes our world. Because our world has nothing to speak of. Nothing to show for itself. There's no refinement, there's no sense of godliness, there's no sense of truth. 
it's completely destitute, spiritually speaking, completely destitute, completely bereft. has no qualities, nothing to show for itself. The higher worlds, the upper worlds, has something, has some content, there's some wealth, there's some value, has something of value. They're spiritual, they're refined, they're egoless, they're, they're genuine, and different worlds, different levels, different levels of depth, and different levels of brilliance, and different levels of clarity, and different levels of godliness, of revelation. But this world is completely concealed and hidden. There's no clarity, and there's no depth, and there's no genuineness. And we have nothing of spiritual value. Destitute. So when Hashem provides for this world, it's a pure act of tzedakah. He's You're helping, He's giving a reality that has nothing. It doesn't earn it, doesn't deserve it, has nothing on its own. And yet Hashem gives, and He gives, and He provides, and He creates, and He sustains, and He gives us generously. What's He giving? He's giving, He's sustaining and creating a world that's destitute, and He's helping and giving. An undeserving world. You give it to a destitute person, he has nothing. It's a pure act of gratuitous kindness. He has nothing to give you in return. He has zero. So when Hashem is creating and sustaining this world, the lowest, spiritually speaking, the lowest of all the worlds, it, it's, he's giving it's the ultimate act of tzedakah. He's giving to a world that's completely destitute. There's no rhyme, there's no reason, and he gives, and he gives, and he creates, and he sustains, and he gives generously. So that's the act of tzedakah. The act of tzedakah corresponds to the creation of this world of action. And that's the world that we live in. We live in a world which is devoid of any sense of spiritual content. It's completely coarse, crass, egotistical, egocentered. There's absolutely no sense of anything higher, anything beyond me. It's me, myself, and I pure ego, pure arrogance. That's the world that we live in. This is not the world that our ancestors lived in. The world that they lived in was much more refined. They lived in a much more spiritual world. To them, godliness was more palpable. They were inspired. The environment was inspired. The environment in the Yiddish shtetl, the environment in, in the Jewish communities throughout the millennium, they were inspired. They felt godliness. They had a relationship with Hashem. There, there was a purity. There was a goodness. There was a depth. There was a clarity. There was a faith. There was a strength. that was palpable. That kept them going for thousands of years. Today, we're bereft. The street is coarse, the street is crass. It's, there's no sense of any nobility, no sense of any sense of refinement, of self-restraint, of a higher purpose. Not only is there no sense of a higher purpose, there's a belief that there is no higher purpose. Just live for the moment, have fun, be proud, march in the street, and be proud of your coarseness and your crassness, and parade it in the street. This is, this is the world that we live in today. So this is the world of Asiya. This is the world. This is the world that Hashem is sustaining and creating. Hashem, the sun comes out every day. 
sun shines every day. Hashem doesn't grow weary, not angry, continues to create us, continues to sustain us, continues to care about us. This is a pure act of kindness. We are the truly destitute. Spiritually speaking, we are destitute. There's no rhyme, there's no reason. It's a gratuitous act of kindness. Hashem continuously gives and provides and is generous. So we in turn have to emulate Hashem. We in turn also have to give and give generously and give abundantly. And just like Hashem physically takes care of us and creates us and sustains us, we also have to physically, actually help another person, give tzedakah, write the child, give. That's the call of the hour. That's our mission. That's our sacred mission. That's our divine mission. That's how we emulate Hashem. So if you're really in tune with Hashem, you have to ask yourself, what is my mission in life? What's my generation? Dr. Rebbe is spelling out for us. This is our generation's mission. This is our primary mitzvah. This is the mitzvah in which we sparkle. This is what's needed at this moment. This is what Hashem needs from us. This is the tzedakah. This is the key that will get us out of the exile. It will close the deal and usher in and make the transition from Friday into Shabbos. So are we going to neglect this mitzvah? I'm busy studying Torah. I don't have time for this. And you missed the whole point. You missed the whole reason why your soul came into this world. You're going against your divine, the divine mission, the divine wish, what Hashem wants of you. So thank God we have Alter Rebbe, and the Rebbe explaining for us and articulating for us what the call of the hour is, what our mission today is. Of course, the Torah is eternal, but every generation has its unique mitzvah. As its unique calling, its unique challenge. This is our call. To draw godliness down into the physical, we also have to be physical. We have to become active. We have to be activists. It's not enough to live for yourself, to be Jewish for yourself. I have to take responsibility for my neighbor. How am I going to help? You have to become physical, you have to become active. And whoever sacrifices his impulse in this respect, i.e., with respect to charity, and opens his hand and heart, thereby causes the other, i.e., the evil side of the universe to be subjugated, and converts the darkness into the light of God, blessed be he, who in the time when the footsteps of Mashiach are close upon us, dwells over us in a state of action. Moreover, he will merit to behold, eye to eye, God returning to Zion. At that time, the physical eye, though yet retaining its physicality, will behold godliness as it is beheld by the supernal eye. Thus, within the physicality of the world, of Asiya, there will be revealed the level of certainty and spiritual perception, which is called vision, a level that far surpasses the furthest attainments of the intellect. So he's saying, why is it that our generation is going to be the one that's going to close the deal, that's going to usher in Mashiach, through our acts of tzedakah, through our act, activism. Because it's the light that comes out of the darkness. The light that comes out of the darkness. To be able to overcome your selfishness, your greed, your ego, your self-centeredness, 
self-absorption, especially when we're living in a time, an age that emphasizes the ego and the I and arrogance to the umpteenth degree. And yet to be able to overcome that and to be able to become active and to give and to give generously and to become godly, that generates the light that comes out of the darkness is much superior, is much more profound, much more powerful than the light that's without darkness. So the older generation, the previous generations, they were greater. They were. Spiritually, they were giants. But it's us who have to deal, grapple with the darkness. When we transform the darkness into light by giving tzedakah, we draw down the level of godliness, the most intense level of godliness that can even penetrate even to the world of action. And this will transform the world with the coming of Mashiach. And Mashiach will come, the novelty of Mashiach. And that's the purpose of the soul coming into this world. And that's why Hashem created the world. Because Mashiach will be a novelty even in relation to the upper world, to the higher realms. Because in this world, you can understand something, and you can be certain of something, because you understand it so clearly. Even if you understand it crystal clear. But nevertheless, it's still abstract. When you see something, however, it's real. It's so real to you, more than anything. You're so certain of something that you see, more than anything you can understand. Even if you understand it clearly, and, but when you physically see it with your eyes, you'll never forget it. It'll leave an impression for the rest of your life. It, it's so tangible, it's so real, it becomes so real to us. So, before the soul enters into the body, godliness is very abstract to us. We can understand godliness intellectually, we can understand it, we can relate to it emotionally, spiritually, but it's still abstract. But as a result of our efforts in this world, and especially living through these times and this milieu and this environment and this atmosphere, and nevertheless we give to duck and we do the godly thing and we break through the darkness and we penetrate the darkness and we draw godliness down to the physical world as a result, as a consequence, Hashem will be revealed in this world. As the verse says, with my eyes I will see godliness. What do you mean with my eyes I will see godliness? With my physical eye. I'll be, godliness will become so real to me and so tangible and such a reality, such a living, breathing reality like anything physical that I see with my eye. This is an advantage over the soul, even the soul in heaven before the soul comes into this world. This is an advantage that we only achieve in this world through Torah mitzvahs in this world, and especially through giving tzedakah, and especially in today's day and age, and in this darkness, to be able to do the ultimate selfless act, which goes contrary to everything that society is teaching you. It's all about I, and it's all about me. And to do, go against the grain, and to give, and to become a giver, and a provider, and a generous giver, and to become godly and godlike. They were transforming this world, revolutionizing this world, changing the very fabric of this world, so much so that the physical will now certify and affirm godliness. With the physical eye, you'll see godliness will be so tangible and so real to us, with such certainty and such clarity, which is far superior to the level of godliness that we experienced before. And that's why it's our generation that will usher in Mashiach, not only for ourselves, but for all previous generations. It's through our tzedakah, for our acts of tzedakah, as he said, the Jewish people will only be redeemed through tzedakah. It's through our acts of tzedakah. 
in these days, especially in this time, in this day and age, literally, a moment before Mashiach comes, in this darkness, this thick darkness, and yet, for the Jewish people, when Egypt was bathed in darkness, thick darkness, you can cut it with a knife, for the Jewish people, it was brilliantly illuminated. When we light up the darkness, through our tzedakah, which penetrates the physical and Money is the ultimate ego symbol like we learned in the Tanya in the first part. Chapter 37, and you take the tzedakah and you, the ultimate ego symbol, and, you, and yet you give it away and you help another person. And you become active and you become an activist. This transforms the physical. This draws down an intense level of godliness into this world. And this will enable us to sense godliness it will become so physical to us it will become so real so tangible so clear so certain so intimate more than anything the soul could have experienced had experienced before just like intimacy intimacy the ultimate intimacy is only physical we'll become so intimate with Hashem we'll be more intimate than anything the soul experienced in a disembodied state anything that our ancestors experienced as holy as they were as spiritual as they were, as the godly as they were. It's only through our actions, here and now, today, you and I, that we're going to usher in the messianic era which will transform and revolutionize the physical world when godliness will become so tangible. So this intense revelation of godliness will be more intense than the revelation of godliness in the upper realms, in the higher realms, in the spiritual realms. This will be the ultimate abode for Hashem, the ultimate dwelling place for Hashem. And who accomplishes it? How do we trigger this? How do we close the deal? our acts of tzedakah. So this is the call of the hour. No one else, there's no one else to do this. We can't say, I'm busy learning, I'm sorry, I'm busy. But nevertheless, this is the end of, of letter number nine, very powerful letter. But nevertheless, the Torah is poor in one area and rich in another area. Nothing is, there's much more to the story. Despite all these tremendous advantages of giving tzedakah, and this is the call of the hour, and this is... Nevertheless, there's nothing like Torah. As the Rebbe himself said, that there are certain things that only Torah could accomplish. If you want to conquer the world, to conquer the world, you can only conquer the world with Torah. Because Torah has the ability to transform the world, to transform people's mind, to transform the world. When you study Torah, and Torah has the power, because Torah is the blueprint for reality, and Torah is Hashem's, the divine mind, contains Hashem's infinite wisdom, every letter, every word in the Torah. So through Torah, you can conquer the world, change the world, change yourself, change the whole world. So, when we're studying Torah, we have to study Torah 100%. We have to realize there's nothing like Torah. Even today, and especially today, we need Torah more than ever. And part of studying Torah is studying the Tanya and spreading and communicating the Tanya to every corner of the world. But at the same time, we have to realize what our, main, what our strength is, what our mission is, what our mission statement is. And we have to devote our energies and devote our time to do that tzedakah, to do, do the last preparation for the Shabbos, to do the last preparation before the lighting, for Hashem will light the candles, 
turn on the lights once and for all and usher in the Messianic era after six days of preparation. Now what preparations there were? 5,774 years of preparation after preparation after preparation. Now surely everything is set, everything is on the fire and any moment we're gonna, Hashem will turn on the light and the feast will sit down to a royal feast with the wine, the yayin ha-meshumar, or mekidosh, and the yayin ha-meshumar, and we'll have the fish, we'll have yasin, and we'll have the shreirabar, the meat, the, the, so the famous meal, the messianic meal, that will take place in the third base of Migdash, and the Alter Rebbe says in this letter, in yirta Hashem, with the will of Hashem, and we'll see each other face to face, then we'll discuss this at greater length. <laughs> to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.